Project Lawful aka Plane Crash by Yarwain, aka Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 1, Mad Investor Chaos and the Woman of Asmodeus. Episode 27. It got a little cold and lonely up on the roof without Carissa to lean against. Keltham solved this problem by going down, wandering around randomly for a bit, not seeing any security anywhere he looked, calling out for security, in a not especially loud voice, seeing somebody step around a corner a third of a minute later, and, you know, you would think that if this whole place had elaborate tunnels in the walls for security to hide, and that was being kept secret and not told to him, they would be hiding this fact by having some visible security officers, but fine. Anyways, Keltham then asked if there was such a thing as magic to keep him warm, since the roof had no obvious switchable infrared lamp heaters, and the problem got solved. After that, the roof was about as good a place to think as his bedroom, with an increased probability of later Carissa materialization. Keltham is currently wondering if maybe Galarian just sort of collectively lacks the form of law-aspiring thought, where, if you have a problem, you try to think of a way you could rearrange reality such that you wouldn't have the problem anymore. It would explain everything he's seen in one sense, but explains too many things he hasn't seen in another. Somebody invented stairs as a solution to the problem of climbing to the roof, thereby falsifying the general form of the theory. Maybe that was before they invented wizard-based contraception and bred intelligence out of themselves, though. Or maybe devils told them how to make stairs. He's aware it's not a very plausible theory, but sometimes when you don't get something, it can be productive to play with impossible theories, or even frustrated yelling at reality, in case that knocks something loose, so long as you don't just keep on doing that. Hey, you. Oh, it's warm up here. Oh, good. It was getting too cold for me all by myself without you, so I reacted to this unsatisfactory state of reality by visualizing alternative and better ways reality could coherently be, and seeing if any of those alternative states of affairs were attainable by my actions, which led to me asking a security officer if there was any magic for staying warm. By a similar line of reasoning, Keltham was considering sex with Ione if Carissa never returned, and he felt sufficiently disappointed about that. What is that supposed to mean? Well, I reacted to the unsatisfactory state of reality where I had no idea how to communicate to you about sex by visualizing alternative and better ways reality could coherently be and seeing if any of those alternative states of affairs were attainable by my actions and getting advice from someone smarter and the conversation ended up mostly being about other things. But I do have an explanation about the sex thing. Does Dath Elan have social deception games? We sure do have games with social deception, and parts of society where it's understood to be fun if we let things play out in a competitive, deceptive way. But we try to keep it out of science and commerce and management and politics, or any other context where getting it right matters more than getting it fun. Both kinds of sexual negotiation exist, but in Dath Elan it'd always be very clear which kind of sexual negotiation you were in at any given time. Okay... In Galarian, people mostly do the games with social deception kind of sex, and I wasn't actually planning to because my incentives are very strongly tilted against accidentally confusing or alarming or upsetting you, but we don't strictly delineate them, and I wasn't assuming you weren't planning to, and I was slightly worried the entire concept is one good people don't invent. I am glad that they do. They'd be missing out on a lot of fun. 
I do not, in fact, understand the thought process, whereby this was a sufficiently worrying thought that you needed to consult your best local equivalent of a keeper. But it's okay that I don't understand that. I don't expect to understand everything for a fair while. And you don't need to explain it in any more detail, if you'd rather do other things with our time. I express clear acceptance and affordance for you to suddenly need to go check with keepers while talking to the alien, whether it was yourself you were trying to protect by doing that, or me. I don't know whether my own statement there makes any psychological sense to you, as something that a person would naturally say in my position, but it's a sincere speech act for whatever that's worth. I think I understood around the edges of it. If I'd properly had that thought in so many words, I would have just said it, but instead, I just noticed the confusion, and all of the attempts I generated to communicate it started a hundred steps back in very confusing territory, which I am going to blame on all this talking to an alien miscalibrating me about how impossible to expect communication to be. And now I think I do want to do other things with our time, if you want to. Sounds good to me. Retrieve an item from the conversational recursion layers all the way back to Dathalani sex technology questions, or pick up somewhere else. Sex technology? Is there sex technology for turning into a dragon so you can have sex as a dragon? He leans back against her, like when they were on this part of the conversational stack before, restoring the state of the earlier function call. Probably not, and I'm considering how close somebody has gotten, but first I need to know what a dragon might be. They are reptilian, magic, what we call sorcerers. They don't have to shape the magic deliberately. They can do it from intuition. And don't die of old age. They just keep growing larger. Ancient ones are a thousand feet long and wouldn't be able to fly at all if they weren't very, very magic by that point. Usually, people polymorphing into dragons to have sex go for smaller ones because polymorphing things much larger and more magical than your native form requires very powerful spells. They breathe fire or spit acid or various other nasty things depending on planar affinities. Yeah, we can't actually do that. Closest anybody would have come materially would be building a giant mechanical thing that could have sex with you or that you could control to fuck somebody. And though it's sort of a cheating answer, well, cheating is technique. So, I expect that the closest people have come to that experience is that there's probably some set of drugs you can get in a shop of ill-advised consumer goods which will let you, I don't know, put on a costume or stare at a moving picture and experience that you are a dragon with some amount of hallucinatory sensory remapping. But if I have to resort to saying that's how we do it, then you win in terms of the technology question. To be fair, I can't personally do that either. As a mere third-circle wizard, I can turn into any woman you've ever met or heard of, but only for six minutes, and they have to be humanoid. Okay, I hopefully won't have to suddenly go meta too often, but for purposes of rapidly learning how romance works around here, that was totally a probe to find out what kind of women I find physically attractive, right? Where the fact that you can and will call any bluffs by transforming into that person forces me to be honest. And on my side, I can choose between flattering you by listing women who look more like you, or teasing you by listing, say, Lurilatha. Because that would... not that this is a problem or anything, that would definitely be complicated romance rather than straightforward romance in Dath Ilan. Huh. That's straightforward romance around here. 
complicated romance involves hiring specialized seduction devils to test people's monogamy commitments who've made them or something. Anyway, I don't have much riding on being your type, because every girl you're going to find here's got light brown skin and dark brown eyes and hair. Saying Lirilatha would be a complicated romance response, because the possibility is real that she'd hear about it. I think maybe my mental delineation is whether we have introduced non-romance stakes. She's kind of bad at not telling Keltham things. This is a bad thing to be bad at. Oh ho, are there other varieties of girl to be found elsewhere in Galarian? Perhaps I should ask for pictures before I decide. Are there not in Dath Ilan? Peoples native to different countries look different. They have dark skin near the equator, and people far up north are very pale with very light hair, and people in Tianxia look. Tian. I don't know how to describe it exactly, but it's very distinctive. Their face shapes are different, and their hair is finer and thinner and black, even though they are pale. We don't have that, no, because anyone can go anywhere with a quarter day's cost of labor. Even if we started out with less travel way back when, after a few generations of everybody mating with everybody all over the planet, I guess all the heritages just blended together. People probably cared at all about preserving variety of appearance. Back when that variety was dying out, it's just... There's so many other things to select on, when you try to decide who you're going to have kids with. And it's so much not a place where it'd be governance's place to solve the collective problem by telling people they needed to start doing assortative mating on appearance instead. Forbidden costs? Not much of a reward. Even in Dathilan, we can't get all the public goods at once. Huh. Well, that makes two things Galarian has going for it on the sex front. A reasonable match of sadism and masochism and distinctive races. I have heard Chelish men assert that northern girls are the prettiest, but they were at the world wound and might have been just trying to win points with the locals. Couldn't Carissa just observe whether they said the same thing around only other Chalish people? Not being able to clearly tell on the meta level whether or not it is currently a time for social deception games to be going on seems super inconvenient, and like somebody could get hurt. Keltham sets it aside. He does not need to solve all puzzles simultaneously. More evidence will arrive in time, and if jumping at every confusion prevents him from ever getting laid, then this would constitute a symptom of meta-level dysfunction. Like, it's one thing to do that when confusions happen once an hour, but another to do it when they happen once per minute. Instead, Keltham says, Now I really want to ask what you think is the best thing Galarian has going for it sexually, but spoilers. Well, I don't know if it's a spoiler if we can't do it. There's a seventh circle spell called Waves of Ecstasy, which incapacitates everyone around with overwhelming pleasure, and I don't think that's the best thing Galarian has to offer, but if it were... It seems like it wouldn't really be a spoiler for our evening, myself not being Seventh Circle. Yet. That sure does sound like the absolutely classic example of something you'd only see in a shop of ill-advised consumer goods. Wait, wizard spells are like that because they've mostly got to be useful in combat, right? Is there a class of combat someone can best fight with waves of ecstasy? Because that sounds like... Taldane doesn't have the word for trope. A particular literary theme... I think it's a modification of a very similar spell that incapacitates everyone around less pleasantly. But no, there are no monsters I've ever heard of whose secret weakness is sexual pleasure. And Galarian doesn't have the thing where, if there were monsters like that, you wouldn't find out until you passed a sexual experience test. So if you haven't heard about them, 
they probably don't exist. Check. Some places in Galarian might have something like that, but Cheliax does not withhold any information about the weaknesses of monsters from its soldiers deployed at the Worldwound. So yes. Right. Sometimes I forget that you're a seasoned emergency response official on a level where I don't even know who in civilization would be comparable to you. Even best-on-continent championship medical responders probably don't stack up to literally actually fighting alien invaders every day. There are championship medical responders? How do you evaluate them against each other? Presumably, they haven't all addressed the same emergencies. Standardized trials, of course, with prediction markets about performance under real future possibilities in case somebody is only testing well in a way that the markets can notice. Oh, you were probing about people I find attractive, so... I can't show her to you until I learn an illusion spell, and maybe something that boosts my memory. But in terms of people I would have screwed if I could have made it to where I could screw almost anyone compatible and available... Ah, uh, background. There's this one woman who was, on scores alone, the second-best endurance medical responder for a region containing a quarter of the planetary population. She wasn't the person you'd call in for one person having a brief medical emergency. She was the person whose performance degraded the least if she had to work for 16 hours straight. Except at her level, never mind 16 hours, she could go for like 30. Now consider all of the alien invasion rehearsal people, and the sections of governance who think about weird scenarios where, for some reason, you can't send in 10 medical techs. You have to send one medical tech who works 10 times as long. Everybody wanted her in their weird emergency response plans. The number one endurance medical responder for her region wasn't into working with governance on weird scenarios nearly as much, or the number one people for other regions, they just wanted to spend all their time responding to medical emergencies, go figure. So she was like spending half her time on actual patients, and half of her time maintaining all of her certifications for being hypothetically called in on every imaginable kind of weird medical emergency by every branch of exception handling. Lots of people watching the transmitted moving pictures of her doing that, treating simulated aliens that famous authors dreamed up, things like that. She was rank five famous, only one in a hundred thousand people had more identity recognition than her. If you were really lucky, you might personally see her simultaneously treating four pretend wounded bodies during an alien invasion rehearsal festival, or during an oops it's time to overthrow the government festival which was when Keltham had actually been pretend nearly killed by the hypothetical corrupted governance military and gotten his game life saved by her in person. And also she was pretty. Marin was her name. He'd almost said Moran, but remembered the difference between her game alias and her real name barely in time, which is a little embarrassing for somebody who was once your teenage crush. Because it is entirely hypothetical, the idea of a crisis where one person might need to work for 30 hours straight... Carissa, being a wizard, hasn't done it, herself, and she can certainly appreciate the exceptional talent inherent in not having your performance degrade over the course of thirty hours, but clerics, at the world-wound, work hours like that during every rush, at least once every month. To be the right trade for Asmodeus, Keltham does not have to solve everything, or even half a percent of everything— if he teaches us metalworking, that would be enough. Neat, she says, and giggles. How do alien invasion rehearsal festivals go? Well, just because we don't have endless hordes rushing at us from the chaotic evil afterlife doesn't mean we'd like to all pathetically roll over and die if someday we did get invaded, though usually we'd suppose them to be invading with machines or cleverness, so we try to prepare ourselves, rehearse for it just in case. 
some of the best writers and the best just-in-case military people, and maybe some keepers, I don't know, all get together and plan out how they would invade us if they were aliens with particular capabilities. Then during the Alien Invasion Rehearsal Festival, they get to tell us, this city got wiped out, or everybody in this region just got mind-controlled, or whatever, and then everybody in the region who got mind-controlled will pick up whatever pretend weapons they get issued and rush over to pretend to try to kill the rest of us. And, I mean, that also increases resilience if some place gets hit by a catastrophic earthquake, because people have rehearsed who to coordinate with and which houses to check and how to look for bodies before their brains rot. That sort of thing. But running it as an alien invasion rehearsal festival instead is more fun. Sex technology. Sexy alien invasion rehearsal festivals, yes or no. Has absolutely happened on a city-wide scale, but only in a city where everybody opted into that and all the underage kids got sent away for that day. Are kids not allowed to participate in sexy alien invasion rehearsal? I guess they probably wouldn't have passed their competence tests. Well, everything is a spoiler at that age. Are you supposed to figure it all out yourself? I feel that this would lead to some hilarious misconceptions. Like the jokes about peasants who go to a priest thinking they're infertile, and it turns out they just hadn't known you're supposed to put it in. You try for a period to see where you end up on your own, and then you learn about the standard optimal way of doing it. As opposed to, I don't know, starting out by knowing all about how it goes? That sounds a lot less exciting. Girls would get pregnant if they didn't know how to avoid that. Carissa has been specifically directed to stop entertaining opinions about things like that. It's bad for her eternal soul, and to stop telling Keltham things for no reason. It's bad for her longevity. Maybe another thing we're doing all wrong for foolish reasons, she says. I guess you could ask the girls if there's anyone who has no idea what she's doing. That sounds a bigot more dangerous in a world where there's serious diseases transmitted by sex and no cheap contraception, though I guess a wizard could afford to solve both of those. But you don't seem like you'd be able to afford clever infrastructure for keeping secrets like that, from only exactly the people who can afford to stay ignorant, so I'm mostly guessing you're joking? Ah, uh, he's already good enough at inference, it's hard to gloss over things. Yeah, I would be surprised if you found any takers in Chiliacs. There are some countries that protect their daughters from sex by not letting them near men instead of by telling them about it. So I guess you could try to meet those once we steal all the women from all the countries that don't let them do things. That's the most horrible take on spoiler protection that Keltham has ever heard. I suppose they may as well get some benefit out of it, yes. But it wouldn't be me having sex with them. I already know where to put it, unless the people older than me have been hiding the real target area. And spoiler-protected people are supposed to only play with each other? She's not going to ask. I think it's sweet how you get angry about the women in the countries that don't let them do things. I get angry about that, but most people don't. And I think I started feeling specifically fond of you as an individual instead of as the vehicle for the most important thing that I can reasonably do when you first heard about it and decided we should steal them. You're angrier than average, huh? Guessing that's not so much because it was your choice of diverse cause area, and more because there's so many even worse things to worry about in Galarian if you pick based on calculation instead of emotional pull. Yes. Other people are being entirely reasonable, and I can't defend my fondness for the idea against fixing some other equally bad or worse thing, but the one that happens to make me angry is that one.
It is a reasonable thing to be angry about. I will not mind if all of you take it a little slower on telling me even more things to be even angrier about, if there isn't any reason I need to know right away. Rapidly learning about lots of things to be angry about does not sound optimal for my mental state. I'm not a keeper. Yet, says a tiny voice inside him, which Keltham decides after a due pause is probably due to internal pessimization over things for internal voices to say, rather than due to internal prediction from knowledge he hasn't acknowledged to himself. And that's also the advice I got from someone who sort of was, in a manner of speaking. Well, not at all, actually. She thought of it herself, but it's a good excuse to stop telling him things, which she should. That, I should be aiming at telling you about decision-relevant bad things, rather than about ensuring that in the smallest possible time interval, you know all of the awful things in a world full of them, except we don't totally understand your decision procedures, so I shouldn't try to have that much ownership of it on my own, but that... It seemed likely to him we might err on the side of trying to press right on through every awful atrocity that chelish parents protect their children from knowing of. And I know more of them than a usual adult, even, because of the world wound. We can take it a bit slower. You're bearing up very well under it, but, ah, uh, conventional wisdom in Cheliacs, which you might think is very foolish, is that the more important someone's business, the more important they have lots of nice things. Well, sure. That's why we coordinate to pay people who produce public goods for us, and why it's considered a good thing that people who produce not-so-public goods become wealthy, too. You want to incentivize people to do important things, and you also want them to be less distracted by unimportant things. If I didn't have something in my model producing that conclusion already, I'd have been confused why your society was giving me what is, by your standards, very expensive living conditions. Just to be clear, I want to know it all eventually. I'm not that much of a not-keeper, especially in a world that's much more dangerous. But if nothing else, there's got to be more sensible ways of prioritizing what I need to learn first than prioritizing it by how much it shocks me. Yes, of course. But I notice that now, tonight... We keep getting distracted away from nice things with horrible ones, despite agreeing that you need nice things very much. And I propose that that means we're doing something wrong. You make a compelling case. All right, let's see if we can go the entire rest of the night without talking about anything horrifying. Well, except that at some point before dawn tomorrow, I have to test my remaining cleric spells, and any appropriate warning signs on those should in fact be clearly laid out to me. But when it comes to everything else... If for some reason I need not to do something in the cuddle room, and the reasons are horrifying, you can totally not tell me why, just not to do it. And even if the reasons aren't horrifying, you still shouldn't tell me, to maintain plausible deniability. Oh, Taldane has a single-syllable word for that. That's helpful. Okay. Don't turn into a girl with red hair and creepy fangs. That's all I've got. But I'll let you know more if I think of them. She totally did that on purpose. Right then. Don't turn out to be asexual. See how you like hearing about what is very clearly going to be a very interesting story that isn't going to be explained right now. What does that even mean? It does not quite parse as celibate and is obviously the opposite of sexual, but she doesn't know how to have sex in an unsexual fashion if she wanted to. I'll do my best while not knowing what that is. Some people don't have any sexual desires, or they don't find it in themselves except under very rare conditions, and obviously if you're the first sort and wish you weren't, 
You're never quite certain you're not secretly the second kind. Wait, that's a sad thing. Shouldn't have said it. If we were having advanced sex instead of beginner sex, I would propose that we hit people when they say sad things. Maybe for beginner sex, we could tickle people when they say bad things? With a feather? Are there tickle technologies? Oh, wow. There are people who gain arousal points from being tickled? Because I'm pretty sure I wouldn't, though I suppose we could very briefly try. Keltham decides not to say, because it would be another sad thing, that unless there's a secret population of Dathalani who do gain arousal from being tickled, a torture machine is not something you would be allowed to sell even in a shop of ill-advised consumer goods. Well, maybe if you put intrinsic surveillance technology into it, and only let people use it on themselves so they could practice being way too mentally disciplined. Or maybe the keepers have some incredibly unpleasant technology hidden for extremely unlikely emergencies. Point to Carissa in the sex games wars. Yes, there are people who gain arousal points from being tickled, and even more who gain arousal points for futilely struggling to avoid being tickled. Keltham visualizes this, boops the same internal part that was booped by hair-pulling check. I wonder if I would be the first Dath Alani to ever build a tickling machine. It would automatically be the best tickling machine ever, unless people here have built even better ones. Well, you know, we do our best with our deficient tech level, but I bet richer people can build more terrifying tickling machines. Hmm. I suppose to be properly terrifying, it should chase you down, snatch you up, and maybe hold you there while the tickle devices approach closer and closer which is going to take magic if I want to build it here without waiting an additional 100 years to climb the technology ladder first. Is that cheating? I ask, because I like to know whether what I'm doing is cheating, not because I'm going to do it any differently, depending on your answer. It seems to me like it might be complicated, building a tickling machine while trying to prevent the escape of your tickly. You could call in security, but that would be cheating. Oh, the idea is that you build the tickling machine in advance and don't tell them about that, so it can be a sudden cuddle-room surprise. But I can see how a thought that chaotic wouldn't occur to such a very lawful woman from such a very lawful country. Luring women into your cuddle-room under false pretenses to surprise them with tickle machines? I wouldn't have believed you capable of it. And I am delighted to be wrong. All romantic relationships in Galarian are competitive, deceptive ones, right? I don't even have to put up a warning sign saying it might happen. It's just assumed. Indeed. You still aren't even cheating. The cuddle rooms all have implicit signs. Beware may contain tickle machines and dangerous boys, and possibly the sexy kind of dragon. This explains a lot about why people here never go into the cuddle rooms and just have sex in their bedrooms instead. We built great elaborate cuddle rooms, but then we got carried away and filled them up with goblins and mimics and treasure chests and traps and spike pits, and they were too dangerous for all but the bravest adventurers, and we retreated defeated to have sex in our beds. Probability one that this has totally happened multiple times in Dathilan, with somebody putting way too much over-engineered sex tech in their thousand-labor-hour cuddle room. If everyone has sex in their cuddle room, is it kinky to have sex in your bed? Like having sex on your dining room table, except comfier than that? Seems slightly mildly naughty, yes, though you'd want a very advanced self-cleaning bedroom, or more likely a spare bedroom you could use instead, until you or somebody you hired at a high price cleaned out all the lubricants and other fluids. Well, I guess you could just have quick, uncomplicated sex on the bed that didn't call for much of anything to be externally lubricated. 
but that seems to defeat the point of the kinkiness, which is, I assume, to wreck the bedroom as much as possible in the course of having complicated sex in it. Now, room-wrecking sex, we don't actually have much of that, probably because of how we are terribly poor. Most decent beds can stand up to having someone chained to them for hours of exciting adventures, as long as no one turns into a dragon. There's a proverb that goes, if you've never broken a cuddling device you don't have a name for, you're not having vigorous enough sex. Of course, then, they started making ones that would not break under any realistic circumstances, and the proverb became obsolete, but it stayed in the language. Well, with magic healing, I feel we should be able to one-up you, but I admit I am not sure how. If you've never broken a spine, you're not having vigorous enough sex. If you've never broken an immovable rod, you're not having vigorous enough sex. If you've never broken an extra-dimensional sex dungeon, you're not having vigorous enough sex. But I have never broken any of those things, so I guess perhaps everyone I've slept with was very bored. Oh, it's part of a whole family of adages about being too risk-averse, in cases where errors are recoverable. If you've never lost money on an investment, you're betting too conservatively. If you've never failed a test, you're taking lessons that are too easy. So for sex in Galarian, as practiced by someone who can afford healing spells, it would say that if you've never broken an ankle during sex, you're not trying sufficiently precarious sex positions. Carissa is having trouble imagining what kind of sex practiced by avowed non-sadists might nonetheless break ankles, but she decides not to ask. Perhaps she will learn firsthand, later, if she stops derailing the conversation. Well, I have never broken an ankle having sex either. I don't think I've broken anything more exciting than a uniform button. Well, let's not aim to correct that immediately. It seems like an activity that could legitimately be reserved for the third date or later. I don't think it counts if you do it on purpose anyways. We just have to keep escalating until something interesting happens. You're the expert. Maybe escalating until sex is positively dangerous is how they all handle their suppressed sadism. I had, in fact, been under the impression that between the two of us, you were the expert. But comparisons over expertise are better settled in domain contests than in argument. Well, on Galarian, people who like to hurt people just do that, and so there's less suppressed sexual tension pushing them towards bafflingly risky and furniture-destroying sex acts. So in that one specific dimension, you have us beat, but for everything else, a domain contest does seem called for. You're not dressed for it. Two seconds and three zippers later, Keltham is displaying the Dathilani male version of plunging cleavage. Our clothing technology enables rapid adaptation to many purposes. Point to us. Wow, Galarian clothing. Well, probably someone has clothing that does that. Probably inheriting countesses of Chiliacs have clothing that do that, and Carissa should have asked about it as a higher priority than asking to be prettier. Carissa owns three outfits, her dress uniform and her undress uniform and her sleeping clothes, and they do not do that. Also, what was that mechanism? It looked mechanical. I will have you know, she says, slightly sternly, that I am with a heroic effort of will, refraining from derailing this flirtatious conversation to ask how your clothing fasteners work. But in the morning, nothing will deter me. They work very well, thank you. Your move, Carissa Sivar. Keltham is expending his own virtuous effort to avoid thinking about zipper patent licensing. 
Well, now you're dressed for the occasion, and I'm dressed for entirely the wrong occasion. I would be perfectly dressed to defend you from demons, but regrettably, security is doing that. Also, one sometimes breaks an ankle, doing that, and I hear that breaking ankles is a third date sort of thing. Maybe I could defend you from a particularly aggressive nocturnal songbird? Or a bat? Keltham zips down an additional distance unit of cleavage, just because his technological superiority lets him do that so easily. I admit, I've never ticked had a girl defend me from a bat on a sexual experience assessment, but you may be overestimating my prior corruption levels if you think you have to go that far for your next move. I'm going to steal those clothes and wear them to class tomorrow. This is your fair warning. And having said that, she doesn't want to give him time to dwell on it, so she kisses him. If you wish to support the production of this AI-voiced reading of Plane Crash, please visit patreon.com slash askwhocastsai. Any help is appreciated.